0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to JP Morgan's Global Data Pod. I'm Malcolm Barr. I'm head of Western European economics here at JP Morgan. And I'm joined today by uh, Greg Fouchézi, who is our head of Euro area economics, and by Raphael Brunaguer, who covers uh, the Euro area with a particular focus on France for us. Uh, welcome, guys. And we're going to talk about inflation and we're going to talk about. Um, the change in view uh, regarding the ECB that we've made uh, over the last week or so. Um, let's start with the inflation part of the story as that's probably the piece of the outlook that's kind of controversial uh, among clients at the moment. I think the growth part of the story, people tend to agree on. It's the inflation part where, where there tends to be a lot to, uh, a lot more spread of views. So, I mean, Raphael, take us through how you would interpret the sort of history of how inflation has got to the multi-year highs that we've been seeing. You know, where's what, what have been the biggest moving parts and, you know, how, how would you put together the, the sort of relative importance of those moving parts in getting inflation to where it's been?
1: Well, as you rightly pointed out, we've seen a significant rise in inflation. Just to put numbers into perspectives, we we had headline inflation at the end of um, uh, 2020, close to 0%, and at the end of 2021, we're talking about a 5% number. So that's a significant rise by historical standards at a level that is um, um, high. Now, if you were to break down how we got there, I think we should be talking about three phases. Um, the first phase was in the early part of last year, we had um, strong demand on, on the goods side, um, uh, issues on the supply chains at the same time. So core goods price inflation uh, started to increase significantly. Now, when you got towards the middle of the year, the story was about reopening of the services sector, strong consumption, in in services and effectively those prices in services that had come down uh, suddenly started to pick up significantly. So that was the um, second uh, layer of the increase. And later on in the year, you had uh, the story, which is uh, the energy prices one. So it was first gas and electricity, uh, but also we had some brand price increase and uh, that pushed up um, headline inflation significantly starting towards the end of the third quarter and uh, into the fourth quarter as well. It, it, it seems
0: in that that the only piece which hasn't really contributed very much is food prices. I mean, it sounds like we've had a goods a goods price set of pressures, a services price set of pressures, and then an energy price set of pressures. Um, I mean, it, it's tempting to sort of look at that and say, well, doesn't, doesn't that tell you you've got something more underlying when it's when it's spread so widely across uh, the basket I mean how do you look at the inflation story when we look forward what what do you think the big moving parts are and and is it you know to what extent should we be worried that that this is you know basically a change which is going to stay with us in terms of inflation being high?
1: Well, I think there are two parts in in the story in terms of trying to understand inflation going forward. Um, I've mentioned these three elements that uh, explain the rise in inflation that we've seen recently in recent quarters. There is a temporary element in in these factors. When we think about supply chain issues, we've seen some improvements in the data when it comes to uh, delivery times. Uh, production in in some countries being able to increase. So we think there is some improvement in that respect. And as a result, the price pressure that we have seen on core goods prices is, in our view, set to diminish over time. Um, As well, when we think about services, the reopening, to a large extent, has taken place now. So the sort of temporary forces that lifted services prices, we think is going to diminish over time. And when we get into energy prices as well. We think going forward, we should see less of a push uh, coming from that part as well. So what we have in in a forecast is um, headline inflation coming down significantly this year as um, temporary forces uh, fade, uh, but also core inflation coming down uh, during the course of the year. Now, the second part is is related to the labor markets. At the same time as we have the fading of these forces, uh, we had um, um, tight labor markets of late, which should continue to tighten. Um, and as a result, we expect wage growth to increase um, significantly to maybe something which is around 3%. Um, this is a level that is fairly high by historical standards. Now, there's a key question, which is related to the slopes of the Phillips curve going forward when we think in terms of consumer price inflation. Uh, we're used to a word pre-crisis where the Phillips curve is is fairly flat. Now, what we think will happen is that uh, strong wage growth pushes up um, a steepening of this Phillips curve. And as a result, we should see core inflation picking up um, in the coming quarters heading towards um, the end of uh, 2023. So basically, we have this move down first in core inflation as a result of the fading of temporary forces towards 1.6% in the fourth quarter of this year. And then we have a pickup in core inflation as labour market tightens and wage growth picks up, which would leave core inflation at around 1.8% in the final quarter of next year.
0: So, I mean, just to finish off on the inflation side, I mean, among among those moving parts, Raphael, I mean, what do you regard as the sort of biggest of the uncertainties? I mean, is it is it really what we get in the near term, or is there still really a big question about, about what happens down the track and, and the extent to which um, you know wage growth picks up? I mean, what do you regard as kind of the bigger call to be made in terms of the way
1: that the inflation you know, environment feels as we go forward? Probably the, the largest uncertainty in the near term is related to energy prices. I think we've seen very sharp movements up and downs of late, and it's very difficult to know where things um, settle. Um, But also the large uncertainty, medium term is about the Phillips curve slope. Uh, We've taken a view that it's going to uh, steepen, uh, but we'll have to see what will happen.
0: Okay. Well, Greg, let's turn to the ECB and the the change in call that we've made. Um, You know, we, we did think the ECB was going to be on hold until, the the second half of next year we've pulled that forward um take me take me through the thinking behind the change in view and how it fits in in terms of some of its details in terms of the asset purchases that the ecb has been doing and and how it fits with the
2: rhetoric that we've had from them to date okay so I mean, effectively, what I've done is I've pulled the first the the date for liftoff forward by six months from September 2023 to March 2023. Um, I have raised the pace of hikes after liftoff from an annual pace of 50 basis points to 75, so from two hikes to three hikes. Um, on the balance sheet side, I have not really made any changes per se but some of the timings are linked to the liftoff date so if you pull liftoff forward then um, uh, the app purchases which run until shortly before the first hike obviously also have to be end a bit sooner Um, but on the pep side the ecb has has actually decided in december to push back the the full reinvestment horizon so they will uh, reinvest maturing bonds in full until at least the end of 2024, and the reinvestments on APP holdings will go for an extended period after the first hike. So again, there's flexibility about how exactly you interpret extended. Um, so that runs, uh, you know, probably well into or into 2024. So on the balance sheet side, there wasn't really that much of a decision to make, apart from just go with the the lift-off timing to some extent. Um, so in terms of where this leaves policy is, it leaves the ECB moving still a bit later than what markets are priced, about three months later, um, but a faster pace of hikes thereafter, with markets kind of running out of steam uh, when with pricing ECB at twenty point two five percent and not really going above that, whereas our forecast does go higher. Um and it leaves the balance sheet still very supportive, um, holding on to the holdings, not pushing them back into the market and, and forcing private investors to hold those those bonds. Um, and the PEP flexibility is still there in the reinvestment. So there's some ability to try and manage um, spreads as you go forward. Um, in terms of rationale, the the, the big issue or the big surprise recently has just been the rapid fall in unemployment and what that does to the balance of macroeconomic risks. Um, We already have a perky forecast on on GDP. Um, Alongside that, the labour market seems to be tightening, as it did pre-pandemic, you know, very rapidly. We're already at a record low, uh, an EMU era low. Um, we expect growth to re accelerate in the middle of this year, which will push that even lower. Um, the wage c- Phillips curve did work to, you know, to a decent extent um, in the 2017 to 19 period. So there's no clear reason for expecting it to not work now. Um, and as Raphael has said, there is the question around how well uh, wage cost pressures will feed through into prices. But if you push the labour market hard enough and you push the wage side hard enough, the expectation is that the Phillips curve will be able to re steepen and you can break out of this 1% inflation regime you've been stuck in. Um, And I think over time, you know, we have liftoff in a year from now, um, over time, as the ECB complete or makes progress in that journey towards the target, the way it perceives the data will change a lot. And I think that that's what uh, then pushes them to lift off early next year.
0: So, so given that view, take, take me through a little bit, the journey from where the ECB have been. And, and, and I mean, I guess some of this relates to what was in the minutes published yesterday and, and how they get to, to a point in March of, of next year, where they're beginning to, to raise rates. I mean, Take us through how you'd think that the the rhetoric and the decision
2: making, you know, would would evolve between now and then. Okay, so so I think the 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 rhetoric at the moment is is still quite firm on that rate hikes are unlikely in twenty twenty two, and I think they will stick to that. Um, they're not saying very much about twenty twenty three. And some hawkish elements have already crept into the rhetoric. I mean, the decisions in December were more, uh, were, le- were a bit more hawkish than expected. The debate in the minutes was about being even more hawkish. So that's where the challenge came from. Um, so some of these elements are already there. And the discussion is very much along the lines of what I've described, which is there is a question around the inflation regime um, the forecast already is in the right place, effectively, um, but you need confirmation that that regime really is changing. Now, in terms of how to track that, I think the key thing is basically wages. Um, that is the big transmitter of uh, you know, cyclical pressures into inflation in, in a lasting way in the ECB's view. Now, we have... Um, We expect some pickup in, for example, German negotiated pay during this year, Um, a bit technical of nature because of the way that past deals work. But also there will be a huge focus on the pay deals in the fourth quarter of this year with IG Metall and the public sector up for uh, renewal. Um, And we expect some pickup uh, in those deals. Um, And that will be the main focus. Now, in terms of how the rhetoric changes, I think it's going to be that not necessarily will there be a, a shift in um, the forecast itself, but the realization that the forecast is tracking will make the ECB feel a lot better about the forecast and inflation settling at 1.718, which is close to the target. Um, and then looking at things like housing costs and climate change and thinking, well, we're actually pretty much there um so it's it's the it's the progress and the confidence that give that uh, that it gives them in the forecast itself that will give a a big change in in rhetoric and then they'll s- s- sit there and think well given the progress we're making is it still appropriate to have a policy rate at minus point 5 and a balance sheet that is 70% of gdp versus 40% before covid and 15% before the financial crisis and then they'll say well let's just get some process going um, and, and move gradually rather than wait too long and then have to move abruptly.
0: So the main pushback that we, we've had on the view change is less about the timing of the ECB moving, more about how much they're likely to move over time. Um, you've already mentioned the fact that you know markets, really price rates getting to a little above zero and then basically sticking. Um, So just take us through your your thinking on on that. I mean, just to begin the discussion, uh, obviously, we do need to recognise at the outset that we have a a view on the Fed and US growth that doesn't have the business cycle rolling over during 2023 um, or, or 2022 as it stands. So Um, You know, I know that, you know, some think that we will be late cycle by the end of our forecast horizon. And I think even going into 2024, even though we've not articulated a forecast in detail about that, I don't get the sense that that's where our US team is. So against that backdrop, take me a little bit through the thinking behind, you know, how much
2: rates go up versus what markets have priced. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, so. There is a there is a a gap. I mean, I I said earlier that the kind of the the rate that um, markets are willing to price is is uh, about zero point two five percent. Whereas, if you take my forecast, we get to one percent by the end of twenty twenty four, and there is a case for doing more than that um, if you accept the view that that the neutral nominal rate could be around 2%. Um, Now, there is a general problem in the market pricing because our Fed call is not fully priced either. So markets still have an inclination to think that central banks won't be able to deliver um, what might be necessary because something will go wrong at some point. Um, And so a risk-weighted rate path looks different than our baseline Um, or modal forecast. Um, But in the ECB's case, I think there is a a greater sense that the region is fundamentally more vulnerable, um, that A, the neutral nominal rate is not 2%, but significantly lower than that, and that the region also has these vulnerabilities in terms of debt sustainability, Italy. I mean, Italy is the big word um, in this discussion. So, Um, you know, on the on the neutral nominal rate, I mean, my view is that if you approach it from the perspective of inflation having been stuck at 1% um, over the last decade, almost, despite the huge efforts made by the ECB, then you can easily conclude that, that, well, it hasn't worked. And therefore, the neutral rate has to be very low. Um, But I look at it more in, in terms of a chain of events that Monetary policy first has to lift growth. Uh, That then reduces um, labour market slack and tightens it. That then pushes up wage growth. And then the last part is for for higher wage growth to feed into higher prices. And I think most of that chain did more or less work. Um, And therefore, my view would be that the neutral rate isn't as low as as some people think. So it's more about analysing the the wage, the price pass through, which I think will kick into gear more than it has before, if you're pushing the labour market hard enough and in a more sustained uh, way. Um, On the other part of the vulnerability in terms of Italy, um, that is a real concern and Italy in some sense will always be behind the region uh, in terms of nominal GDP growth, just because real performance is softer, for example. Um, But... I think we should also recognize that there are areas where progress has been made um, in terms of the institutional setup of the region, uh, the policy tools available, uh, the reforms we expect on the, on the fiscal rules, um, and also that a forecast of reflation does improve nominal outturns everywhere, even if somewhat less so in, in Italy. And that does also help the debt dynamics. So it is a real concern Uh, But I think it also is reflected in the more cautious view on the balance sheet. So the balance sheet policy, I expect, is very different from the, you know, very aggressive, in some sense, uh, quantitative tightening that the Fed is going to embark on. So the ECB will move on rates, but leave the balance sheet as as a real insurance policy out there.
0: Let me just put a final question to you which gets a little bit into this uh, issue of vulnerabilities as the ECB raises rates which is a perspective I have on this is that uh, we're often we're often talking about the ECB from the point of view of the the assistance it, it has given to the indebted you know countries in the region through its asset purchases and the backstop of OMT and and low levels of rates but I also do think we need to recognise that the ECB does need to retain legitimacy in the eyes of the region as a whole, not just the South. And a large part of that legitimacy, which has justified some of the actions it's taken, is about maintaining its price stability mandate. And as a result, there is a sense in which I do think we have to view the world you know from both sides which is an ECB which was to continue with a very very big balance sheet with rates in negative territory in an environment where inflation had been high for a period even if it was start coming down and wage growth was beginning to move up I think it could start to undermine that legitimacy and I don't think you need to to think that you know kind of you know, the, the the shadow of the Bundesbank is suddenly taking over uh, at the ECB for that. I think just staying consistent with the price stability mandate does require the ECB to, you know, not just have a token tightening, but actually, you know, go through some of the steps to move rates back closer towards something more like normal. It, as someone who is who tends within our department to be a little bit more sympathetic to what we might regard as the German or northern view of how monetary policy should work, Uh, I'd hope that would be a perspective that you would share.
2: Yeah, I think it's I I think it's a very important part of it. Um, I mean, you, you, you do need to, I think, also recognize that on the rate side. That is a that that is a tool that in some sense can be used and questions around Italy don't can be dealt with in other ways as well. And it's not just the central bank that has to pick up the tab on that. Um, There are other policymakers who are also, uh, you know, who also come into this. It's not, it's, it it is not just the central bank. And I think the, the arguments on monetary policy, if you, you know, look at the German press are very, very different to this kind of uh, needing to protect Italy type perspective. Um, It is much more about moral, moral hazard about tough love um and you know being a bit putting a bit of pressure on somebody um can actually lead to better outcomes so that's that perspective um and i don't think i I, I would also
0: think i would also think the german press will not be very sympathetic if in the name of of supporting the south the ecb is perceived to be letting inflation in the north get out of control
2: yeah that that would go down incredibly badly. Yes. And it would undermine the ECB's ability to respond in future as well. Absolutely. Well,
0: on that note of of rare agreement within our team, uh, let's uh, let's bring things to a close. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, this has been JP Morgan's Global Data Pod and we look forward to you joining us next time. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022, JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in January 2022.